0: Happy Black History Month! Happy Black History Month, Emma! So as we mentioned in the previous podcast, we are celebrating Black History Month by putting out additional episodes highlighting contributions of Black scientists.
1: That's right. For this month only, we're releasing bonus episodes. You get one a week. This week we'll be talking... <laughs> I know, we were, we were excited to do this and also like, wow, I can't believe some podcasts put out weekly podcasts all
0: the time. Yes.
1: This week we'll be talking about two important Black scientists and their past contributions to science. So who's up first for us to talk about today?
0: So the first scientist we're going to cover is Dr. Mae Jemison, who is a doctor a chemical engineer, and an astronaut. So total what? all-star. Oh and my goodness. Yes. <laughs>
1: That's amazing.
0: So she's probably best known for being the first African-American woman to travel in space and the first woman of color in general. Um, and also, if you've watched Star Trek, you may have seen Dr. Jemison because she guest starred on an episode called Second Chances in 1993 where she played a character named Lieutenant Palmer
1: wow she sounds like a fascinating person and to have the mental capacity to like be a doctor engineer and an astronaut like i can't even i know fathom having like knowing that much to be able to do well in all those fields it's amazing may carol jemison was born in 1956 in decatur alabama She moved to Chicago at age 3, where she spent most of her childhood. And while we'll be focusing on her early contributions, it's important to point out that she's still alive today. And she's an active philanthropist and advocate for space travel and science literacy.
0: So it's really great that she's still involved in science outreach, even after leaving NASA. But, you know, after you hear about her, you'll realize this is really unsurprising considering how passionate she is about science and from a very young age she always wanted to be a scientist and she tells this story a lot in her interviews where um, when she was in kindergarten the teacher was asking the whole class, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up and she responded a scientist. Woohoo. <laughs> yes, that's what I like to hear. <laughs> so but then the teacher kind of gave her a, a weird look and tried to clarify like, "Oh, do you mean like like a nurse?" <laughs> Uh, not not nothing to like knock on nurses or anything just at this kind of time in history it wasn't really common for a woman to go into engineering or anything so the teacher was kind of trying to like place her in this gender gendered role um may insisted no I mean a scientist. <laughs> And this is one of the best parts about Dr. Jamison. She's got a really great sense of humor, and she's really engaging and a very inspirational speaker. So I urge you, if you have any extra time, maybe you're, like, you're bored during quarantine, definitely go look up some of her um, public interviews. And I've linked a few of those in the show notes.
1: And remember, May was growing up in the 60s when space travel was really taking off. Huh, taking off. Woohoo! Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! So when watching the Apollo mission and other events, she was very inspired by space travel. While kindling her passion for science in high school, she became interested in biomedical engineering. And she attended Stanford University to study chemical engineering at the age of 16
0: she she is very casual about this fact in interviews, like, yeah, it's no big deal. i wasn't I wasn't intimidated by the situation at all. <laughs> so uh, very brave. <laughs> but in one interview she she says that she did think that some of the teachers were, you know, more uncomfortable with her presence in the classroom than she was, which is actually you know, kind of sad to think about, and I I just finished her book today. It's kind of like a little biography, and she talks about how it was kind of frustrating to not get that support that she had always gotten in in the rest of her life, in middle school uh, and high school. She always felt like her teachers had believed in her, but then when she came to college, like her science teachers just didn't really support her in that same way. So that was very frustrating. And um, luckily, she did take, you know, other classes in, um, she took Swahili, healing, she took some African studies classes and dance classes. And she really got kind of more of that outlet from, from teachers in those classes. So she was able to, you know, get her support system, which is so important in college and grad school and, you know, any kind of scholarly setting to to have a mentor that believes in you and supports you
1: oh completely I mean I think for most of the women in science that I know around me we've had other women in science kind of give us the little push or even male faculty really saying like hey I think you can do this and do this well so that support means the world and can be the difference between someone deciding to go to grad school or pursue science or someone saying hey this isn't for me
0: Definitely. So it was nice for her to have that outlet. And, you know, I will mention she does she does say that she experienced racial discrimination when she was at Stanford. And this was clear in the classes when, you know, professors would just ignore her questions and then a white man would raise his hand and ask the same question. And he would say, oh, that's an astute observation and (laughs) and answer the question. So little by little, like, she stopped asking as many questions and kind of went to the back of the room because if you're being ignored over and over again, why put yourself out there? But, you know, good for her, like, going out and finding her own mentors, like, where she could so that she had the the strength to keep going and and finish that college degree.
1: Yeah, her story reminds me some of another NASA woman, Katherine Johnson, who was one of the hidden figures Mm -hmm. women who just she had a really similar experience where she was in this room with all male engineers and they did not really take her seriously. And she was the one coming up with all these great ideas. And eventually they saw like, wow, she is way smarter than we are asking a lot of the better questions. And she made such an impact in history. And same with May here. Along with her science courses at Stanford, she also took many courses in African-American studies and studied dance, as Rachel mentioned. May's also flew in Russian, Japanese, and Swahili. And I think this is important to point out that even someone as accomplished as Dr. Jemison. She had other passions and interests beyond science, and it's very important to have a broad education with different interests. And clearly, she shows that this will not hold you back from accomplishing your
0: career goals. Definitely. And speaking of broad interests, after graduating from college, she attended medical school at Cornell University in New York, and she earned her degree in 1981. Well, she spent a lot of time working as a doctor in Los Angeles, but then she went to serve as a doctor for the Peace Corps in Africa in 1983. And after that, she decided to apply for the NASA space program in 1985. Um, not that this came out of nowhere. She kind of had always known that she wanted to go up into space someday, and this was kind of on her radar to, to apply to this program at some point. Um, unfortunately... You know, NASA stopped accepting new applicants in 1986. And this was because of the explosion of the Challenger shuttle, you may remember. So this was kind of a bummer um, for her the first time she applied. You know, she got all the paperwork sent to her for the background check and didn't even have time to fill it out before the crash happens. But she stuck with it and she applied again in 1987. And she ended up being selected with 14 others out of 2,000 applicants. In 1992,
1: Dr. Jemison and six other astronauts went into space in the shuttle Endeavour. This this made her the first African-American woman to enter space. She spent eight days in space where she conducted experiments on weightlessness and motion sickness on herself and the crew. And she stresses that her experience shows what women and minorities can contribute to our society if they're given the opportunity. And that we're wasting potential if we don't make space for people from
0: diverse backgrounds on our teams. And again, we don't have time to go into the details on Dr. Jemison's uh, later and current contributions, but I'll briefly say that she is a huge advocate for science education, especially for kids. And she not only teaches at the college level, but she also created a space camp program for kids called The Earth We Share. So if you're interested in learning more about her life... She did um, write a book for kind of young adults. I just finished it. Um, I, I think it's interesting to read at any age she, just because she's such a funny and inspirational person. Uh, so the book is called Find Where the Wind Goes, and it's about her early life experiences and some of her experiences in college and mid-school. And, med school. and I, if you live in Chapel Hill, I'll be donating a copy of it to the Chapel Hill Library because <laughs> I couldn't find it there. <laughs>
1: And lastly, her current passion project is 100-Year Starship, which aims to make human space travel to another star possible in the next 100 years. This project is funded by the United States Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, or DARPA. The second black scientist we're going to share about today is George Washington Carver, a botanist who lived from 1864 to 1943. And he was born into enslavement during the Civil War, and his parents died soon after he was born.
0: After the Emancipation Proclamation, his owners asked him to stay and taught him to read and write since he was an orphan. Carver moved to and attended an all-white college in Kansas, but was denied an education there because he was black. He eventually found a school he could attend and then went on to college. And interestingly, in college, George Washington Carver studied music and art, but was encouraged to pursue botany by a professor. And this professor encouraged him to pursue botany because the professor thought that Carver would have a hard time as a black artist. So this led Carver to being the first African-American to earn a bachelor in science, which is pretty impressive. So it's very interesting that both Dr. Jemison and Carver shared an interest in arts and sciences. And yeah, this is like definitely a theme because I know a lot of folks in sciences that have some kind of artistic outlet whether it be music or dancing or painting or even knitting
1: oh definitely I think that if you are in science and that's your only hobby then the days when science sucks you're gonna have a hard time with your life
0: yeah you need to pick me up
1: <laughs> you really do yeah I'm definitely I've gotten into knitting in the past few months I know you have too Rachel yes
0: we share sock patterns
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes we do Soon after, Carver received his master's degree and became the first African-American faculty at Iowa State University, and eventually he moved over to the Tuskegee Institute to form a botany department. When he accepted this post, these were the words he penned. It has always been the one great idea of my life to be of the greatest good to the greatest number of my people possible, and to this end I have been preparing myself these many years Feeling as I do that this line of education is the key to unlock the golden door of freedom to our people.
0: Carver's inventions and ideas are world-renowned, and one of his best ideas was crop rotation, which you may have heard of. (laughs) Since cotton depletes nutrients that are in the soil, growing other crops would allow those nutrients to be replenished. The crops that Carver recommended growing to give the soil a break were sweet potatoes, soybeans, and peanuts. Peanuts, when grown, provide their own nitrogen, so they really help the soil to recover. And another benefit of these crops were that sharecroppers who worked on the land would be able to eat off the land as well.
1: At this time in history, the amazing aspects of peanuts were not well known. So Carver set to find ways to use peanuts to encourage people to grow more of them. It's estimated that he developed 300 products from peanuts and not all of these were food products he made peanut face cream peanut coffee and even peanut insulation (laughs) can you imagine your house smelling like peanuts all the time that'd be
0: amazing i would definitely go for some peanut coffee for sure (laughs) i don't (laughs) know about peanut face cream i'm gonna go google his list of 300 products after this because i'm curious now
1: (laughs) there's a lot on there i was pretty impressed Carver even spoke to the U.S. House of Representatives about the uses of peanuts and helped pass a high tariff on imported peanuts to protect the peanuts that were being grown in the U.S. This was just decades after the Civil War, and the country was still trying to adjust. So for a black man to give testament in Congress and for people to listen to what he said was huge.
0: Many people recognized Carver's prowess in agriculture, including three U.S. presidents and other foreign dignitaries like Gandhi. Carver is most
1: often associated with peanuts, but when you examine his vast amount of work, he sought to help people understand the land they worked with, and especially to help black sharecroppers who were in a system that gave them little leeway to do well.
0: His epitaph describes him well. He could have added fortune to fame, but caring for neither, he found happiness and honor in being helpful to the world.